0: So, wondering this morning if you have ever had that experience where you've been able to witness somebody go through some sort of difficulty or trial, uh, and they responded with a remarkable calmness, one that almost seemed kind of otherworldly. Anybody had that experience? You've watched somebody, maybe it was a parent or a a sibling or a friend, go through an experience that uh, was very trying, uh, suffering, and they just kind of went through it with a calmness. And you said to yourself, I wish I had that. I wish I could meet challenges uh, and difficult moments with that kind of serenity and peace. What's well, what we want to talk about uh, a little bit today. So I remember uh, just a quick story uh, from Hoffman family. Uh, this is in the annals of the Hoffman family um, adventures. Um, we were leaving church uh, after uh, an Easter Sunday. And what we like to do uh, in the this is years ago. The kids were small. Is go up to Tahoe. Somebody had a cabin that they would give to us every week after Easter. So we jump in the car and drive up. And this particular Easter, there was a snowstorm coming, and um, so we jumped in the car to go. We thought if we just really hurry, we'll we'll get there uh, just before the snowstorm, and everything will be fine. And uh, we pulled over to In and Out, which we did every Easter, forgetting that In and Out is closed on Easter. So we didn't have much time. So we went to like a gas station and got some food and jumped back in the car. We thought we're going to make it. And we got to Vacaville and realized that we didn't have the key to the cabin. So we turned the car around, went all the way back home, and then drove back. And now we're driving right into the teeth of the oncoming storm. Of course, we have to pull over and put chains on now because it's starting to uh, cover the ground, and so my 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 oldest son was still pretty young at that time we We jumped out and put the chains on, and then we had to do that slow chain speed drive all the way to the cabin, right uh, twenty miles an hour uh, and it's it's getting later and later and later and uh, finally, we turn off the little road to get up to the cabin, and it hasn't been plowed and so uh, we make it a little ways along the road, and then we just start to get sideways uh, in the snow and the minivan. Just can't deal. And so we're stuck on the side of the hill. Uh, and I, I, I rev it a couple more times, and the chain comes off and gets wrapped around the axle. So now we're stuck in the middle of the street. We're about a half mile from the cabin. Uh, so uh, we think we're, it's about, uh, you know, thigh deep. We get out of the car, little kids. Uh, so for them, it was like shoulder deep. And uh, we're, we're going to walk the half mile. It's 2 a.m., Right? Everybody's in pajamas with no shoes on. And so I go to the back and open up the back of the car and uh, reach for the, the warm clothing. And there's a bag of blueberries, which in the heat of the car has opened up and spilled all over the warm clothes. Right? Those of you, you know this moment, right? Um, you've had it, you've lived it before. And, and, and I'll have to just say that in that moment, I did not respond with a kind of calm, and serenity. I said some things that a Christian man ought not to say uh, in that moment, and uh, this is the first time this ever happened. As I'm, as I'm, as I'm working this through in the back of the car, um, I hear chuckling in the in the in the middle seat. Uh, my kids, who were asleep, they've woken up and they've heard me going on and on about the blueberries, and. Um, They start laughing. That was the first time that my kids had ever laughed at when I lost it, right? And so uh, I I felt very reprimanded by their laughter. Um, And they'll remember to this day, if you say to any of my kids, all you have to say is blueberries. They'll probably start chuckling, okay? So try that out. Um, So so it's a cute story about a moment when it's difficult and, and not being... You know, that sort of serene response, that, that control, that remarkable serenity that we, we like to have. But what about in life with the real things, the, the, the things that are seasons of pain and suffering? You know, when, when the illness comes or the finances don't work out or um, the family kind of gets sideways uh, or um, the work doesn't go as you expected it to for a long period of time or you experience some deep injustice Or something happens in life and you you think all of a sudden that you can imagine yourself being in in great disgrace. Uh, And and, and that's another kind of a moment, right, of suffering. And and what does it mean to live in those moments with that kind of otherworldly calm? That's what we want to think through a little bit this morning as we look at Acts chapter 16. So would you open up to Acts chapter 16? Uh, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one to you love for you uh, to be able to follow along in the text that we're looking at, Acts chapter 16, verses 35 through 40. Um, And so please don't be shy. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, and um, um, everybody who hands out Bibles is out of the room. So Russell's going to jump up and and help out, and so is Carol. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Good. So don't be shy about uh, getting a Bible. And if you need a Bible uh, to take home with you, please take this Bible home. We'd love to give it to you. Uh, and have it by your nightstand, you can refer to this. Um, now, a little background before I read uh, this short little passage. We've been in this now four weeks in Acts 16. It's like a mini-series in uh, with, with this amazing story. Uh, and what's happened here, this is essentially called the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And he's with a guy named Silas and some other people. Probably ends up with Luke, who's the one who, who wrote the, the book of Acts. Uh, and, and they've been... Um, out to uh, talk about Jesus and start churches in different towns. And they thought that they were going to stay in Asia, but they ended up uh, seeing a vision. Paul ends up seeing a vision, uh, and they cross over to what will become Europe. And so it's sort of a pivotal moment. And they go to this town uh, called Philippi, and it's the story of them starting a church in Philippi. Um, they come, and they meet a woman named Lydia, and she comes to faith. And then they get embroiled in this controversy where there's a a slave girl who has a spirit of divination. And there are a bunch of men who are making money off of her ability to tell the future. She's like a fortune teller. And Paul exercises the demon, the spirit of divination from this woman. And, uh, and, And the men get really upset. They take him to the forum, which is sort of like the town square where the city leaders would be, the magistrates they're called. And they, the magistrates don't even really do any, any research on what happened. They just immediately beat Paul and Silas and then throw them into jail. Uh, and Paul and Silas are in jail around midnight, says, and they're singing hymns and praying. And an earthquake comes, and the jail's opened up. But they don't leave, and they end up leading the jailer to faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and all his family comes to faith as well. It's a remarkable story. Um, And we've pulled out several lessons. We've talked a little bit about suffering. These guys, you know, they're trying to do what God wants them to do and they end up in jail. What happens when you do the thing that you think God wants you to do and you end up in jail? That was a couple of weeks ago. We talked about um, sharing your faith last week. And so uh, the importance of what does it mean to, to really be willing like Paul and Silas to tell people about the faith that has meant so much to you. And then this week we're going to dive back in a little bit to the concept of suffering. So when we first talked about suffering, we we talked about prayer and hymn singing and how these are tools that help us deal with suffering. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what we believe in the face of suffering. Um, So with that kind of as some background, look with me in verse 35, and this is the end of the story. They've been been, uh, in prison, and they're still in prison, but the jailer has come to faith and he's rejoicing and all of that. And then it says this, But when it was, the, it was day, the magistrates sent the police to the jail, saying, Let the, those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men, who are Roman citizens. Now, that's an important point. We'll come back to that later. Roman citizenship came uh, with some, some understandings about who you were. It was kind of an important identity. Uh, and they have thrown us into prison. And they, do they now throw us out secretly? So it was a very public demonstration when they're thrown into prison. Now the magistrates want to just sort of let them sneak out of prison. And they're saying, no, uh, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens because they had treated them badly, right? We're supposed to do that with a Roman citizen. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Uh, That was the first woman who came to faith. And when they had seen the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and departed. So they went back and and met with the new church that they just started. And then they, they left the city to go on to another one to continue their journey of telling people about Jesus. Now, what I'd like to do in the time that we have is, is talk a little bit about suffering, kind of like three S's or S sounds, a little bit about suffering. Uh, and then I want to talk about this citizenship idea, which becomes very important for us as we think about navigating suffering. And then I want to talk a little bit about what we call the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty meaning the power and the authority of God as it relates to our own life circumstances. Okay, so suffering, citizenship, and sovereignty. So a few things about suffering here. There's really, well, there's at least four sources of suffering. Okay, um, we're going to put that up on the, in the screen here. Um, there's suffering because we did something sinful or unwise. And we can probably all relate to that. Um, we've, we've done things um, that, you know, maybe a little while later or years later or maybe for a whole season um, end up causing us to be in, in kind of a, a difficult place. They're suffering because just simply the fallenness of the world. We go back to Adam and Eve, and when when Adam and Eve sinned, there was sort of a fracturing that took place in God's creation. And So now we live in a world that's filled with decay. There's evil. There's all kinds of things that happen. And so there's just the fallenness of the world. And then then in particular, that evil in the form of, of human beings who are influenced by it or sinning. Uh, or spiritual powers can be another source of suffering. So oppression by evil uh, people or powers. And then and then there's this, this suffering that comes from obedience to Christ, which is a little bit of what we're seeing here with Paul and Silas. Um, because they're following Jesus, they end up suffering. Now, the reality is as I think about my own life and try to pull apart the threads of the suffering that I've experienced. Um, And you may see this as well. The reality is that most of our suffering is pretty complicated in its source. So it might be several of these at once. In fact, I can think of examples in my life where the source of the suffering is a combination of all of these coming together at the same time. Okay, So suffering is complex like that. Um, Paul and Silas were definitely, you know, this is part of their obedience to Christ, There was definitely some evil going on in the city and some powerful people. And then it was the fallenness of the world that was part of their suffering. But, I mean, speculating here, you know, they would have been, I mean, Silas could have said to Paul, hey, you know, was that really wise for you to exercise that demon? I mean, we just got into town and we're making a big stink. You could have kept it down on the down low a little bit, right? I mean, everything that we do, you can sort of second guess and question. Uh, And so... And so there's this sense in which um, suffering is complicated. It's complicated. But here's the good news um, about suffering as pertains to relationship with God. And that is this. The good news is that God doesn't abandon us in our suffering, whatever the cause. God doesn't abandon us in our suffering, whatever the source of that suffering I find this to be the case in my own life, and maybe you found this as well. I, I always feel like, okay, if I'm suffering just because of the fallenness of the world or the oppression of, by evil people or powers or obedience to Christ, I always feel sort of confident in that suffering. But when I suffer because of my own sinfulness, then I kind of start to wonder, is God really going to help me in this situation? I mean, didn't, isn't this just my fault, and now I just have to, to deal with it? Um, And you may have some things in your past, you know, that continually plague you that you're not bringing to God because you sort of think, well, uh, that was my own fault. So I deserve whatever I'm experiencing. I blew it. God's not going to help me with that because I blew it. Well, look at Psalm 107 briefly with me. I'm making the case that God cares about all of our suffering. Psalm 107, this is amazing. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, referring to the the people of God. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So their suffering was so deep that they were on the precipice of death itself. But listen to this. Even for people whose suffering is because of their own sinfulness. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell all of his deeds in song and joy. And I just think there's probably some of us here who are in the midst of suffering and feel like we're beyond the reach. We might even not even be thinking about this consciously, but somehow we feel like we're beyond the reach of God because the source of our suffering is our own sinfulness or lack of wisdom. And that verse, these verses say very clearly that even in this kind of suffering, God wants to be our God. He wants to draw near, and he wants to ultimately bring us out of it, okay? And, of course, there's a whole process we talk about repenting from our sin and going to God and, 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 and seeking forgiveness where we need to do that. And, and then the healing process and the redemption is part of, of our response to God in that way. But I just want to make very clear that God cares about all suffering. So, you know, you may not be suffering merely because you're going out to, to preach the gospel. But God still cares about your suffering. But we should, it, let it be said, you know, we, we should be trying to move our suffering away from... being the result of our own sinfulness and unwise decisions and and have our suffering more and more become the result of obedience to Christ. That's the journey that we're on, right? And we're going to suffer in this fallen, broken world. Why not suffer for the best reason, which is to serve God, to be living out of obedience to God instead of for our own sinfulness? and So we want to be on that path, but God cares about all of our suffering. So what I'm going to say today applies to you no matter what the source of your suffering. God cares about all of our suffering and in and, and, and all of its complexity. And so what is it that leads us to confidence in the midst of suffering? In that moment or that season where it seems that things aren't going as we would want. What leads us to confidence in that moment? What leads us to joy in the midst of our suffering? And that's where we have these two um, these two words, citizenship and sovereignty. So let's talk about citizenship a little bit. This is a big part of the journey that Paul and Silas are on here in Philippi. You know, what, what saves them to some degree, now they're going to be let go, but, but they were just going to be let go uh, quietly. What saves them to some degree or would have saved them and did save them in other towns was that they were actually Roman citizens, which is kind of a unique designation, a lot. Most of the people in the towns would not. A lot of them would have been slaves and, and not Roman citizens, and so to be a Roman citizen was to be to be kind of special. Um, it was a unique designation. And um, a Roman citizen was um, given oftentimes at birth what would be called this this diptych. It was it was a little kind of folded maybe wooden book, and on it w- w- on the inside was written your, your lineage and, and demonstrating that you had citizenship in Rome. Now, there are other ways that, that citizenship was demonstrated, but that was one of the ways, especially if you were born as a Roman citizen. And so if you ever got into trouble, if you're a Roman citizen, see, no Roman citizens were supposed to be beaten or mishandled, especially without any trial, like happened to these guys. So, so if you're a Roman citizen, if something was going to happen, you're supposed to, to, to call out. And um, I, I I pronounced this in the wrong way, so I'm going to see if I can. Um, Kiwis Romanus sum. So we had, a, of course, of course, we had a Latin student here, uh, and to protect my, to to, to um, change my pronunciation of this. Kiwis Romanus sum. Um, this is to say, I am a Roman citizen. So if you were ever in trouble, if you were, you know, if there was a problem, you could call out, "I am a Roman citizen," and you would be treated differently. You would be protected. The The person potentially mishandling you would know that there's a great power standing behind you to protect you if you called out, I am a Roman citizen. Now, Paul and Silas, they probably did that in the midst of the forum, but it seems that there was so much commotion, so many voices yelling, maybe it went unheard because they were treated as if they weren't Roman citizens. So they were beaten and they were bound and they were thrown into the prison and the magistrates didn't seem to realize who they were dealing with. But when they found out, they became very frightened because they had so poorly treated these Roman citizens. And you ask, well, what, why, why did Paul and Silas make the magistrates come and, and release them? Why not just walk out of the jail? Why did they sort of, I mean, were they trying to rub their nose in it, you know, that they had mistreated them? And probably the best understanding of this is to remember that Paul and Silas were leaving a church in Philippi and everybody had seen these men mistreated in the forum. That was a public thing. And so if they were to leave, the church would have had that stain on it with the community around it. So Paul and Silas most likely wanted the magistrates to come and publicly forgive them, publicly release them so that the church that was left in Philippi would not have that stain on it. So so they were doing this for the future of this fledgling church that they had started. So they have the magistrates come, and then the magistrates release them. Now, this whole citizenship thing reminds me of a different kind of a citizenship that that Paul talks about. In fact, he ends up starting this church in Philippi, and then he goes and he, he leaves, and then he ends up eventually writing a letter to the city of Philippi in which he talks about a different kind of a citizenship. And I want to direct your attention to this. It's in Philippians 3, 20 through 21. He reminds the the believers in Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So just like a Roman citizen, you know, had a very uh, strong, mighty, uh, powerful resource behind him or her. Paul is saying that actually, as a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, you have the power of Jesus Christ to whom all things are subjected ultimately behind you. And so your citizenship is very significant. It's an identity marker that enables you even to choose to enter in to broken broken circumstances with the knowledge that this tremendous power is backing you up and behind you. And and instead of a a diptych, that that little thing they would carry around to prove their Roman citizenship, Paul will write elsewhere that we have the Holy Spirit, which is the seal, demonstrating that we are, in fact, citizens of heaven. And when we come to faith in Jesus, the Bible teaches us that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it's like our sins are atoned for and washed away, and, and then our, our body is made uh, fit to for the Holy Spirit of God to take up residence in us. And that Holy Spirit becomes the seal, the the, the sign that we belong to God, that we are citizens of heaven. So... So even better than Roman citizenship is heavenly citizenship. And in Jesus Christ, we have this. And and this is something that we live into continually, and we need to continually remember if we're going to meet suffering and moments of trial and cross-bearing and difficulty with the kind of serenity that Paul and Silas do. You may have seen the movie Argo, and in the movie Argo, um, what happens, it's kind of a retelling of the story of, uh, of the hostage-taking in Iran in, in 1979 and 81. It's not a perfect retelling of it. It takes some liberties. But um, basically in the story, the, host, the, the hostage-takers come in uh, in Tehran. They come into the, the American embassy, and they, they take a bunch of the embassy workers. But six of them, six of these ambassadors, escape. And they end up in a living room of the Canadian ambassador, hiding out for their lives, trying to make sure that the hostage takers don't find them. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic of identity. They're fugitives from the hostage takers sitting in this room, but they're also U.S. citizens. And so there's a play between their citizenship and their current reality. They're, they're, on the, they're outcasts, but they know their citizenship is, is from elsewhere. And behind the scenes, sort of the American uh, power starts to churn to get these people back home. See, that's the power of identity. If you were sitting in that room um, and, and, you, and you weren't uh, the, a U.S. citizen, then you, you would be at the whim of whatever would happen. But because of the citizenship, you have this dynamic power behind you. And so they're waiting to see... What will happen next? So, in that, you can see the significance of identity. Identity allows us to be in difficult circumstances, but to have a confidence about what will happen next. And this is so important in our world today. In our world, the modern West, we're having sort of identity crises all over the place. And we're trying to figure out how we define ourselves, who we are, and we don't have much time to go into this. But let me just briefly mention some of the ways that we try to define ourselves. And you'll probably relate to these. We define ourselves by our work, by our accomplishments, right? Sometimes we can define ourselves by our politics or our race or our sexual preferences or our social media. I'm reading a book right now on how kids are attempting to define themselves uh, it, through social media and just how harmful that is. And so the levels of depression and everything have gone sky high and a lot of it can be traced back to um, some of these uh, uh, brokenness in the area of identity. And so identity formation is a really complex soup. Uh, but it's happening in you. It's happening around you. You're engaging in it all the time trying to determine who am I in this world? Why do, I have, do I have value or worth? Uh, what am I? And, and, and the point I want to make, I, I can't evaluate all the different ones. The point I want to make, make is this, is at the end of the day, all those, the, all those forms of, of, of sources of ourselves are, are limited. They don't have the capacity to capture and define all that we are. There's only one who has the capacity to define us, and that's the one who made us. And there's all kinds of language in the New Testament about about who we are, different metaphors. And one of the powerful metaphors is this idea of citizenship, that we are defined by where we're from. We're ultimately, in Christ, our home is heaven. And that changes how we move through this present world and who we are and it gives us a kind of confidence it's it's ultimately an expression of God's love because he's saying you're a citizen you're a citizen of my land of my place and i want you here and and your citizenship comes with some special rights and those rights have to do with protection and and and, and watching over and, and grace, and, and all those, those bits that we talk about. So, identity formation is very important. So, so part of what we have to, to do when we want to um, answer this question about living into the uncertainty and the brokenness and the suffering of life is, is go back and ask the question who are we? Um, if we had more time, and we do this in our new Gospel Academy the remake of the Gospel Academy class. We could go into some of the other ones. You're a a child of God, right? You're adopted son and daughter. There's all kinds of metaphors in the New Testament that talk about our identity. But here we want to, we need to go back and remember that we are citizens of heaven, and that helps us. Because when when you're a citizen and you're an ambassador, right, the country that sent you doesn't, doesn't leave you powerless when you get stuck. They seek after you. And that's what kind of leans us into the next part. Now, now here's the amazing thing. Not only are you beloved of God, you're a citizen of the heavenly home, but the amazing and awesome sovereign power of God is placed in, for your good um, because of your identity as a citizen. That's what the sovereignty of God component is in this whole journey. So we're citizens but then we also focus on the sovereignty of God. So suffering and trials, cross bearing. In this case, in this passage, we look at the prison that they're in. This is all part of what it, how God works in the world. For people to be going through broken situations and circumstances, it's just it's part of how God works. There's too many references in the Bible to even begin to mention them. All you have to do is look at the life of Jesus Christ. There is no greater suffering than what Jesus suffered on the cross because he took into himself all the sins of the world and he experienced the greatest separation from God that anybody has ever experienced because of all that sin on him. So that is the epitome. Jesus on the cross is the epitome of suffering. And for some amazing reason, God works through suffering. And what he did in the person of Jesus Christ was to bring about redemption. One of the questions that we all struggle with is, why is there suffering in the world? Why why do I suffer? Why is there suffering in the world? And and we're not going to answer that that question this morning. But there's some important threads that help us to kind of get our mind around those moments when we're suffering. There's clearly this redemptive thing. Jesus suffered so that people could be redeemed. And in like manner, Paul suffered with Silas in that prison so that the jailer could experience redemption. And in like manner, you and I, as we're living out our faith, will go through seasons of suffering or moments of suffering because God is working his redemptive purposes in and through us. So, redemption is part of why we suffer. But suffering is complex. You look in the pages of the scripture and you see all kinds of other reasons for our suffering. Just look at the life of Paul. Paul says he was given at one point a thorn in his side. We don't know what it was, but he called it. It could have been metaphorically a thorn, a a real thorn. We don't know. But he says that that was given to me so that I would be humbled, so that I would maintain humility. Because he had experienced so many glorious revelations of God. In order to make sure that he didn't get puffed up and conceited about that, he had this thorn, whatever it was, to keep him humble. Sometimes we'll see this. We'll be experiencing wonderful victories at the same time as we're experiencing dramatic suffering. Because God is keeping our spirit in check. He's keeping us humble in the midst of it. Paul says this about suffering. He says that he and his friends received a sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. So there's another reason for our suffering. See the complex layers of suffering. There's redemption. There's holding our character, our spirit in check. There's causing us to realize that we don't have anywhere else to go in the world when things get really bad than to God. So suffering plays this incredible role where it causes us to finally get to that moment where we stop trusting in those things that will never ultimately satisfy or make the difference. And we finally just say, I have nowhere else, God, to go but to you. And we remember that, in fact, God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And so we place our trust there. So suffering has that purpose. And, and then we see that suffering can help us to let go of the idols that we might be attaching ourselves to. Um, this is something I've seen, I think, and I'm still learning and seeing. We've been, I've shared some of this with you over the last years, probably three or four years. We've been in a very complex circumstance of suffering that in some ways I haven't been able to share from the pulpit oftentimes because it involves some of the people that I love and that it's not my story necessarily to tell. And so it's been really challenging for me to walk that out publicly in front of you. And I know sometimes it's been frustrating to some of us because we would want to know intimate details of things that Jody and I might be walking through um, and that's just been a really hard dynamic to navigate, but it's been a beautiful season in the brokenness of it, because God is doing all these things. And and one of the things that I see, in addition to the humbling, and, and the trusting in God, and in some cases the redemptum thing, is, is redemption piece, is to to pry my hands away from the things that I might have trusted in, right. So I'm the kind of person who oftentimes trusts in my own strength to get things done. And that that self-sufficiency can become an idol. And when when God makes it so that no matter how sufficient you are in yourself, you still can't get it done. And then you finally have to let go of that idol, right? And trust in God. This is the deep inner work that God does in the midst of suffering. And here's what really astounds me in it all is that it's like God can weave together all these purposes, his redemption, our spiritual growth, the the redemption of other people, the spiritual growth of other people. He can weave together all these complex components in one season or moment of suffering. It's like we can't see all the levels of what he's doing. And it's it's as if we're playing checkers and he's playing chess all the time. Or he's playing go. Go. You know, the the even more complex game. It's like he's working on multi-levels. And and sometimes we get a glimpse into what he's doing, but but we don't see it. But here's the point. Just know in the midst of things that don't make sense that God is still working. And he's probably working in ways that you can't even dream of because he plays chess. And all you can see is checkers. And he's accomplishing things in your life and the lives of the people around you that apparently can't be done in any other way. But you remember, you're a citizen of heaven. He loves you. And so it's good. Ultimately, he will bring good out of what he's doing. When, uh, in that movie, uh, Argo, they suggest that um, they break these people out. The CIA agent, he says, you know, okay, here's what we're going to do to break the people out. We're going to go in and pretend that we're a movie crew. And each of the ambassadors has to take one person as a writer on this fake movie crew. Uh, one person is an actor. The other person is a producer. And they're going to use this to get across the border, right? And when the people who are stuck in Iran hear of this crazy idea, they say, there's no way. That's not going to work. They're going to find us out. Now, how many times do you say that to God when he starts to move in your circumstances in ways that his creative crazy ways that you didn't expect. And you say, no, God, don't save me that way, right? That's not how it's supposed to go. That'll never work. See, here's the thing that we're trying to get to, like Paul and Silas. They're in the jail, and then there's an earthquake, and at each moment, they seem to be asking the question, okay, God, what are you doing now? How are you using this craziness to accomplish your goals? Now, well, what I do, and, and maybe you struggle with this too, is when the jail moment comes, I'm tempted to say, oh, no, it's all over. God couldn't fix this. Or when the earthquake comes, I say, oh, no, God can't work through this, right? Right? And I'm forgetting in that moment just how creative this God is. Who, by the way, made me in the first place. And so here's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, um, patterned after the example of people like Paul and like Silas. It's to find yourself in these moments of prison. And more and more life, in life, we're going to be in those moments out of obedience to Christ. Because we're faithfully bearing witness to who Jesus is. It's to find yourself in those moments. And no matter how crazy and uncertain and seemingly uh, impossible those moments are, it's to say, I know God is still at work. And I know that he's not going to forget me in this foreign land because I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And I don't know how he's going to break me out of this. I don't know if he's going to use an earthquake. I don't know if he's going to use whatever. But I trust that he is. Because you see, when people start to really grasp that, their identity as citizens and their confidence in the power of a sovereign God, then what they become is more bold, more secure, more courageous, more willing to go into the deepest, darkest places of this fallen, broken world and actually be the light of Christ. And that's beautiful. God's beautiful design for your life. Not that you would just make it through but you would become an ambassador a beautiful agent of his mercy and goodness and grace so God would you make that to be the reality of our lives increasingly as we focus on our citizenship in heaven as we embrace the power that you have manifest over and over again And are now applying in our lives. Lord, we want to be citizens. We want to lean into your sovereignty. So make it so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.